You're listening to Two Monicas in a Microphone, a finely crafted podcast about nothing serious. Seriously, I'm your host, Monica. And I'm the other Monica. Get ready to talk about anything and everything from vampires to colorblindness to pet peeves to hot dogs and everything in between. Awesome. Can't wait. Today, we're going to discuss American legends. Pretty straightforward. Earlier this season, we did a series on fairy tales, and we just grazed the idea of folk tales in that international episode. So today is going to be a little bit in that same vein of folk tales. So America, as young as 200 years old, has folk tales? Yes. Now, it's maybe not exactly the way that you're thinking of a folk tale. Some of the legends we're going to discuss today were actual people and others were stories of pure fiction told to embody the American spirit. I like anything. I love the American spirit. Oh, so do I. And I did want to talk a little bit about the American spirit, but I think it's important to at least loosely define it in this episode. So Monica, when I say American spirit, what are the things that you think of? So I think of patriotism, ingenuity, freedom, and liberty. Yeah, I think of those things too. And in fact, I also think of some characteristics, human characteristics, traits you can carry as an individual. And so for the purpose of today's episode, I'm going to use some characteristics as outlined in a well thought out website that I came across during my research by Peggy's Hope for You. I really have to take a minute here. Monica, I think I told you when I was doing this up last week, like I was getting like super emotional doing (laughs) doing it. Yes, you were. I really, really was. I want to take a minute here and just say that like this random website I found is really the embodiment of the American spirit. It's not a website from history.com. It's a website from an American citizen who is well-researched and she's sharing her insights. And you know, America didn't become the beacon of freedom that we are by allowing experts and agencies and the government to build us. You know, we were built by the American people. So I'm going to step up on my soapbox. So just so you know, y'all, there's a wooden box here taking a step and got something to say. But um, that is for me. America is not our government. It's not our agencies. It's not our institutions of higher learning. It's not billion dollar corporations. It's the people. It's me. It's you. It's our listeners. Well, at least the ones in America. We still love everybody I mean, else. I still love everybody else. Like, Yeah. And I would also say that that's just very American to love everyone else too. And here are the other ones that I thought of. Courage, boldness, independence, hard work, perseverance, compassion, innovation, freedom, honor, loyalty, and patriotism. So that's what I have to say about America and the American spirit. And it's that it comes from the individual. The individual in America is what makes America great. And these legends really, really speak to that. So Monica, when I say American legend, like I did in the beginning, what are some figures who come to mind when I say that? Just list them off the top of your head. Okay. So I think of Paul Bunyan, Johnny Appleseed, definitely not unicorns and fairies. It's been, it's been a long time since I was in grade school. Yeah, definitely. Well, I'm going to go over some in here. And yeah, I think it's kind of a grade school thing. You're thinking of these big, larger than life legends. And for the two people who you just brought up, we are going to talk about Paul Bunyan and Johnny Appleseed. And you'll get to find out if either one of them were real people. I see. I see what you've written here. Some big old dudes and superhuman strength. We're going to start with John Henry. Courage and perseverance. I don't know anything about John Henry. Really? He was one of the ones when I just sat down and thought of him myself, he came to mind. Now, you don't know of John Henry, the steel driving man? 
So the story of John Henry goes, and I'm so shocked you don't know this, is that when the steam engine, the steam powered drill engine, when they were building the tunnels and all the railroads during mm -hmm. the pioneer days, mm -hmm. they used to do that by hand. Well, then they came up with this steam powered rock drilling machine. And then John Henry picked up a hammer and he beat the rock drilling machine. I seem to recall a song about John Henry. Disney actually did a super cute, super cute. They did. Mini. They did. That's oh what I'm, that's what I'm, uh, that's what I remember because they did a super cute short. They did. And so in 2001, they released something called American Legends. And it was a compilation of all sorts of these different characters I'm going to go over today. And they had all these little shorts collected over the various decades. And it's actually really cute if you can get your hands on it. So this story was told as a ballad. That is how it originated, which is probably why you remembered it as a song. It wasn't a written down story. And his story is thought to symbolize the courage and hard work of Americans, but also unique to his time was the plight of the newly freed slaves in their battle against oppression. So it has been adapted in many ways to sure. show the different plights. It wasn't just this story that was unilaterally just one type of person could cling on to. Many types of people during that time could, which is why it is an American legend, right? That it spoke to everyone. I think that's fascinating. So I really tried hard to find the original ballad, but that was not possible. And I don't really think anyone here is surprised. So uh, it was just, a, it was a long, I spent a lot of time, probably the most time on John Henry. It originated in the 1870s is the best that I can find. But one of the earliest copies of the ballad was prepared by a W.T. Blankenship, and that was published about 1900. So, but you know what, Monica? Like, even though his story really originated, like I said, in like a post-Civil War America, it actually didn't become a well-known story until the 1930s. In 1930, an uneducated novelist, so could you even imagine that today? <laughs> mm. An uneducated novelist, Rourke Bradford, wrote his novel, John Henry. So Rourke had been raised around a lot of post-Civil War Black people, and he took great pride in collecting their stories. Now, I think that we would all have a modern commentary on how he retold them, of course, right? Like maybe we wish he didn't tell yeah. them the way he told them, right? But yeah. he was really trying to get their stories out there. And that is why John Henry became so popular was from that novel and not so much of the ballads, but the way we now know John Henry, you and me, like nearly a hundred years later is because of the ballad. Right. That's really, really interesting. And I, I'm so glad that Disney had the foresight to yeah, put it I, into a tale and a cartoon to preserve it. Right. Because yeah, yeah. we don't pass oral stories on the way we used to. It's so true. <laughs> Monica, was John Henry a real person? You know, that's a good question. And I would have probably said, uh, no, have you not heard the story? <laughs> before but a historian scott nelson whose name i can pronounce claims <laughs> amazing. <laughs> to, yeah amazing right claims to have discovered the true john henry now of course this is debatable all right it's debatable the National Park Service has a statue for John Henry, but also the National Park Service also says John Henry was not a real person. So on their website. So I would mm -hmm. just say it's debatable about this, but they say that there was a John Henry around this time that the ballad originally started. He was a Virginia prisoner. He was sentenced to 10 years of hard labor working on the railroad at the age of 19. Now, what makes me think maybe it wasn't this guy is he was only five foot one. Okay, that's how tall I am. And I'm sorry. No. Yeah. Yeah. No. So I'm like, what? Well, I just don't feel like a guy who's only five foot one, no offense to five foot one people, would become legendary for being gigantic. It's just weird to me. I think it's yeah, a no, huge... that's, that's weird. And also, he died of lung disease from inhaling all of that rock dust. He didn't, you know, he died young. I don't know. I'm saying it's not this guy, but in the name John Henry, I mean, how many John Henrys are there? So I just feel like it's a stretch, but John Henry is a fun name to say. 
But the thing is, is that this John yeah. Henry did work on the railroad. He did go up against those steam powered rock things, which I don't know what to call rock drills. Yeah. <laughs> so he did do those things, but Sorry. no offense to John Henry, who was probably falsely imprisoned too after I was reading some of that. Uh, yeah, wrongful conviction. Yeah, wrongful conviction, or at the very least, overly sentenced for what mm. he did. Yeah, so, but that's a time for another thing. We are talking about the American spirit. Some things suck, but some things are really great, and we're focusing on the really great today. That's right. Based on your research, I think the most important thing to note here is that John Henry is a reflection of the American spirit. And an excerpt from the an article in a Biblio by Carl Hempel, a professor from Northeastern University, says it best. Would you do the honors of reading it? Absolutely. Like Paul Bunyan, John Henry's life was about power, the individual raw strength that no system could take from a man, and about weakness, the societal position in which he was thrust. To the thousands of railroad hands, he was an inspiration and an example, a man just like they who worked in a deplorable, unforgiving atmosphere, but managed to make his mark. So next, we're moving on to Paul Bunyan, and I think the American spirit that he embodies is larger than life. Now, Monica, oh my gosh, and you have this quote by Shel Silverstein. I love him. Yeah. So instead of getting into the nitty gritty like we did with John Henry, I thought it would be super fun just to read Shel Silverstein's Paul Bunyan. Shel Silverstein is one of my all time favorite American poets, a boa constrictor and broccoli ice cream. Hello, anyone. But I didn't know he ever wrote a poem about Paul Bunyan. It's in Wary Sidewalk Inns. I went and looked it up in my copy. Oh, yeah. So, Can you I, it? I, don't, I don't have that one. I need to buy it. We need to add that to your next Amazon order. Okay, Monica, take us away. Take us away with Shel Silverstein's Paul Bunyan. He rode through the woods on a big blue ox. He had fists as hard as chopping blocks. 500 pounds and nine feet tall. That's Paul. Okay, not my Paul. <laughs> Talk about working. When he swung his axe, you could hear it ring for a mile and a half. Then he'd yell, Timber! And down she'd fall for Paul. Talk about drinking? That's man so mean that he'd never drank nothing but kerosene. Oh my God. A five, and a five gallon can is a little bit small for Paul. Talk about tough. Well, he once had a fight with a thunderstorm on cold, dark night. I ain't saying who won, but it don't storm at all round here, thanks to Paul. He was 90 years old when he said with a sigh, I think I'm gonna lay right down and die. Cause sunshine and sorrow, I've seen it all, says Paul. He says, there ain't no man alive can kill me. Ain't no woman around can thrill me. And I think heaven just might be a ball, says Paul. So he died and we cried. It took 18 men just to bust the ground. It took 24 more just to lower him down. And we covered him up and we figured that was all for Paul. But late one night, the trees started shaking. Dogs started howling and the earth started quaking. And out of the ground with a hi y'all comes Paul. He shook the dirt from his clothes. He scratched his butt and wiped his nose. You know, being dead wasn't no fun at all, says Paul. He says, up in heaven, they got harps on their knees. They got clouds and wings, but they ain't got no trees. I don't think that's much of a heaven at all says Paul. So he jumps on his ox with a fare thee well. He says, I'll find out if there's trees in hell. And he rode away. And that was all we ever seen of Paul. But the next time you hear timber yell, 
that sounds like it's coming from the pits of hell than a weird and devilish ghostly wail like somebody's chopping on the devil's tail. Then a shout, a call, a crash, a fall. That ain't no mortal man at all. That's Paul. <laughs> that was super I fun. That. That's really just the best way to talk about Paul Bunyan, honestly, because newsflash, he wasn't real, like at all. Like- <laughs> oh my God, now you're, you're blowing up all my childhood dreams. <laughs> right, right. Um, so why not give a Shel Silverstein poem for everyone to understand just who Paul Bunyan is? Now, Monica, just briefly, do you know who Paul Bunyan is? No, I have no idea. For real? For, for- the giant lumberjack. Well, I okay, so that's how he's pictured and portrayed. Yeah, that's all. That's Paul. Oh, okay. Yeah. Definitely not my husband. Not your husband, (laughs) who is... (laughs) Not nine feet tall. Not nine feet tall. Monica, right now seems like the perfect time to take a little break and hear from one of our sponsors. And if you are listening and you would like to be a sponsor of Two Monicas in a microphone, just send us an email to contact at twomonicaspodcast.com and that's with the number two. Today's episode is made possible by my affiliate partnership with the toxin-free beauty brand, Crunchy. That's Crunchy with an I. With all the talk these days about parabens and sulfates in our beauty products, it's hard to find a brand you can trust. And let's be honest, it can be annoying to read the back of every label before you buy something. And then you have to wonder, is it actually going to work? Who has the budget or the time for all of that? I definitely don't. That's why I love Crunchy. I don't have to read labels and I don't have to worry about toxins. Ready to make a safe swap in your beauty routine? Check out my site at crunchy.com slash Monica Miller. Okay, now back to the show. Monica, we are going to talk about someone I was not familiar with at all, and it shocked me. Are you familiar with Pecos Bill? No. Who who is this person? Right, right. Okay, so I maybe I had heard his name before, but honestly, if you told me he was an outlaw like Billy the Kid, I would have been like, oh, okay. And I'm just going to put it out there right now that he is not a real person. So who was he then? Now, I am saying that Pecos Bill and the story that I'm getting ready to tell or the details I'm going to share is that for America, he embodies courage, strength, and stamina. Okay. Why? Well, we'll get into that. If you do not agree at the end of this, I think we should debate it because if you see how many bullet points I have here on this dude, like yeah, he's a I bullet. I, there, there, yeah. there are a lot of bullet points. <laughs> he's a bullet point kind of guy. And yes, that is a pun since he is a cowboy. So like Paul Bunyan and John Henry, his story was told in oral tradition long before his stories were written down. All right. So what exactly is his story? I've never heard of him. I haven't either, but he's like huge. He's probably huge. I'm going to guess in the 50s because he was a cowboy and there's just a lot of cowboy love back then. I mean, there was a lot of Americana and American loving spirit back in the 50s because that's when my mom like my mom grew up in the 60s and it was yeah. still very yeah and very that came from it. you know i don't know winning world war ii i was thinking yeah. poodle skirts but you know that's just me oh well you know back-to-back world war champs anyway mm-hmm. i digress <laughs> we're getting back to pegos <laughs> bill here okay so legend has it that he was born in the 1830s and was one of 18 children he was from texas so we'll take a minute here and be shocked cowboy from texas Hmm. yeah right okay Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and he was so tough that he used a bowie knife for teething in wild animals as playmates okay so pecos doesn't sound quite mexican or spanish so how'd he get it he did get the name pecos because he fell out of his parents wagon when they were crossing the pecos river and then he was washed away in the current and then he survived and was raised by coyotes of course he was who am i thinking of uh tarzan tarzan exactly (laughs) (laughs) yeah so years later it's told that he was rescued by his brother who had to convince him that he was not a coyote and to rejoin civilization oh okay just like jane did with tarzan 
So cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the same mm-hmm. type of story. So wild man becomes tame again. He was also known, and I think that this is an American spirit type thing, for his superior skill and his work ethic. Wow. Pecos Bill apparently invented everything cowboy except the hat and the tales that they tell about him. So apparently he invented the branding iron. Mm-hmm. Yep. The lasso. Him. Yeah. Cowboy songs to soothe the cattle. Sure. He built the first six shooter. Yeah. And he made a dent so big in the ground that it went below sea level and created Death Valley. Mm-hmm. And then what? Okay, that is not, no. And cowboys wanted to go and ride wild, and that's how we got the first rodeo. I don't believe any of this. You don't? No. Well, will you believe the rest of this? His lasso was a rattlesnake. He rode a cyclone. He ended a drought by lassoing a cloud and squeezing rain from it. Um, okay. I'm yeah, a little dubious yeah. here. Like yeah. my, my, my tinfoil hat is like, it's blown off. <laughs> yeah. So he also roped an entire herd of cattle at once. He harnessed the Rio Grande to water his ranch. Sure he preferred. Yeah. And while he had a horse who ate dynamite for breakfast, he preferred to ride mountain lions. All of this is true, Monica. Yeah, and I could go on and on with Pecos, Bill, and all the things that he's done, but I won't. Oh my gosh. So this last line that you have here <laughs> has me, I'm like, I'm in stitches. He uh, died yes. by laughing himself to death when a Yankee came to town dressed in a slick new cowboy clothes. Before we move on to the next segment, we would love your help. If you love this episode, don't forget to follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave us a five-star rating and write a review. It's the only way we grow. Want more Two Monicas in a Microphone? Follow us on Instagram at Two Monicas Podcast. That's with the number two. And you know, we're on Pinterest too, with the number two. Yes, all the socials. And don't forget to hit that share button and send this episode to a friend who might enjoy it as much as you do. If Americana is a subject you love, head on back to season one, starting at episode 21 and hear interesting facts about the 50 states, learn how Americans eat their hot dogs, find the best places to travel and compare American slang. Now back to the show. Our next segment is real people doing real things. And that makes me want to think of the original song from the late 90s from Budweiser or something. Real American heroes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, funny. Sorry. That's right where my brain went, (laughs) y'all. Hey, you know what? It's nostalgia. It is. It is. And I love it. I I love it. So the first person I'm going to talk about when we talk about real people doing real things is Johnny Appleseed. And I'm going to say that he is the embodiment of stamina and charity. So Mon, we talked all about American Pie and got a little history of the apple in our last episode. We did. Yeah. And now we are going to talk about the man who put the apple in the eye of Americans, John Chaplin, otherwise known as Johnny Appleseed. I always thought that Johnny Appleseed was actually the fake, but it turns out he's real. Same. Exactly the same. I, until recently, did not know he was a real person. And this is very, very interesting uh, because where he passed away is not far from where I am and where my brother-in-law lives currently. And I could probably go see his grave if I wanted to. And there's actually other That's so fun. Yeah, there's other connections. Like he's very close to where I'm at in many different ways. Now, as far as Johnny Appleseed goes, I think that this is probably going to be an odd introduction, but I am going to start with his obituary which is printed in the Fort Wayne Sentinel on March 22nd, 1845. I just think it gives such a great snapshot 
of the man in a way that I don't think that we could really understand who he was without this. I mean, I love this because the way I love history and the way where we went to college kind of taught it was you learn a lot of history from things from that time, not other people regurgitating it to you. You have such a deeper understanding of society that way too. So again, let's jump off some soapboxes today, but here we go. So it was still the pioneer days very much. Um, Abraham Lincoln, nobody even knew who he was, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Kind of crazy, kind of crazy. This is what they said. On the same day in this neighborhood, at an advanced age, Mr. John Chapman, better known as Johnny Appleseed, the deceased was well known through this region by his eccentricity in the strange garb he usually wore. He followed the occupation of a nurseryman and has been a regular visitor here upwards of 10 years. He was a native of Pennsylvania, we understand, but his home, if home he had, for some years past was in the neighborhood of Cleveland, where he has relatives living. He is supposed to have considerable property, yet denied himself almost the common necessities of life, not so much perhaps for avarice as from his peculiar notions on religious subjects. He was a follower of Swedenborg and devoutly believed that the more he endured in this world, the less he would have to suffer and the greater would be his happiness hereafter. He submitted every privation with cheerfulness and content, believing that in so doing, he was securing snug quarters hereafter. So Monica, it continues and it says, in the most inclement weather, he might be seen barefooted and almost naked, except when he chanced to pick up articles of old clothing. Notwithstanding the privations and exposure he endured, he lived to an extreme age, not less than 80 years at the time of his death, though no person would have judged from his appearance that he was 60. He always carried with him some work on the doctrines of Swedenborg, with which he was perfectly familiar and would readily converse and argue on his tenets, using much shrewdness and penetration. His death was quite sudden. He was seen on our streets a day or two previous. I love that. There's so much to love about that obituary. I mean, not that someone died, but the way that they retold someone's life. It was just really fascinating to me. So it's interesting because I've been looking to plant trees because Paula wants trees in the front. Mm -hmm. And I was looking at apple trees. Okay. Mm -hmm. So they don't, they don't do very well in Florida, which is fine. But as I was looking at apple trees, did you know that most apple trees are not native to America? They were actually transported on the Mayflower. I didn't know that they were transported on the Mayflower. And I had always only assumed that they weren't native because of the Johnny Appleseed story. But until you told us about that, like during American Pie, like I had no idea about it. No, they were they were transported over on the Mayflower. All right, so let's yeah. get into the interesting facts of Johnny Appleseed. So in the obituary, it said that he was well off. That's what it sounded like, right? And you would never think that because all the pictures we see of him, he's like a barefoot with a pot on his head. Yeah. <laughs> he did not yeah. wear a pot on his head, by the way. That is <laughs> untrue. I did look that up. They're like, no, there's like no record of this. <laughs> anyway, but, so, but he did have an estate when he passed away of over 12 thousand acres and he left that to his sister and he also owned four plots in allen county indiana including a nursery that had fifteen thousand trees whoa that's a lot of trees yeah and i'm gonna kind of tell you something sad about them so you know he died in 1842 so we had the civil war and then we had something really cool happen called prohibition uh are you familiar with prohibition i'm just kidding hopefully if you're not please go back no. to the 8th grade and take american history so basically we weren't allowed to drink alcohol it was in the constitution that's insane <laughs> yeah like it got added to the constitution right oh. okay so the fbi like went and cut down all of his trees after his death i'm because- so, uh, like my heart is breaking right now 
Yeah, like just the thought of cutting down trees makes me want to cry. So Ugh. they they cut down all these trees because the apples that he planted were for making cider. They weren't for eating. And in fact, during the time that he was alive, Americans consumed more cider than we modernly consume of water per day. But cider isn't inherently alcoholic. Yeah, I don't know if they were getting drunk off of it or what, but right. It it's does, not, it's, it's not inherently yeah. alcoholic. It's like, like yeah. you have hard it's cider, awful. which, it, yeah, oh my God. Oh I'm yeah. Just, so we have, we still have so many so other the, people to, to get into that. I think that if we. So the American government <laughs> once again yeah. failed. Yeah. A government, not the people. Way, way, yeah. way long. Oh my God. Yeah, so the people, amazing. The government, suspect at times. Okay, that's why it's called We the People. Do any of these trees actually exist today? Because I've heard of heirloom apples. I've heard of heirloom tomatoes, which now the birds are eating all of mine. And I am. (laughs) Okay. So you ask me, are there any of his trees in existence today? So, and I know you mentioned heirloom. So I'm assuming that comes from seeds. Now, what is really interesting is do any of his trees exist? Uh, The normal lifespan of an apple tree is just 15 to 45 years. I mean, Mm. we are talking like 18 40s. Yeah, no, like, no. They, be- they, right. There's they're one. not gonna exist. There's one. One one still can exists. we go visit? <laughs> we could. It's here in Ohio. So come visit me and we will definitely go see it. It's actually on private property and it still bears fruit. That's so cool. And you want to know what else? What? You can purchase a seedling from this tree. And I have that in the show notes where you can go get it. I'm going to buy one. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Monica, you know, the picture that I have in my head of Johnny Appleseed is him with a bag of apple seeds. Me did too. Did he have the bag? Yes. He, he kind of did. So remember when we talked about that Sweden Borg that he was a part of, right? In the obituary. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So he actually And you mentioned grafting earlier. So this is going to be your time to shine in all of your love and glory of plants because you're going to need to explain to us what grafting is because Johnny Appleseed absolutely would not graft a plant. It was against his beliefs Mm -hmm. because he believed that it caused the plant to suffer. So he planted all of his orchards, which he really didn't plant orchards. He planted small clusters of nurseries. And you know why that was? Before you get into grafting, let me explain. Back in the pioneer days, if you planted an apple tree on unclaimed land, the land became yours. <gasps> yeah. And I was I born in the lo- wrong time. Right. I so mean, I do of- love indoor plumbing, but I was born in the wrong time. Yeah, but he had to walk the land to do it. And a lot of people say he did it to become wealthy. But if you read his obituary, I don't think that's why he did it. I'm not sure why he did it. I don't know that he wrote any journals. But the simple fact is he did it and it's a cool story. But can you tell us what grafting is? Because I had to look it up. Yeah, so grafting is basically you take rootstock, which is a, a mature tree, and you slice off a piece of the tree and mm-hmm. you attach a branch and you like fasten it to the tree and Mm -hmm. then that's what grows. Yeah. It just sounds smart to me. Like here's a way to get a head start on and seems much quicker way to produce fruit than a seed. I'm just going to be honest with you. Yeah. No, no. I mean, and it's true, but nowadays because of how we cultivate fruit, it's actually because the seeds from the apples won't actually produce a tree because they're not heirloom. Yeah, and that's quite possible. But what I was reading is that all of the trees that we had before Prohibition, the apple trees, nobody was eating those. It's like it wasn't a thing in the way it is now. So, and that is a whole, we cannot go down the apple rabbit hole, y'all, because we have some really, really great American legends. And I knew I was going to have to pull Monica off the the tree, if you will, as I got into talking. Yeah, she's like, oh, food and plants. Well, this will be 45 minutes of, of me explaining all of them. No. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> so let's get to oh Betsy Ross. Yeah. Yeah. Um so excited. I'm gonna, 
Yeah, I'm excited. We got a lady up here in our legends, and I believe she's the personification of perseverance and patriotism. I think that's a perfect description for Betsy Roth. I do too. So here's the legend. The legend has it that Betsy Ross was the first person to design and create the American flag after George Washington requested her to do so. She made the Stars and Stripes flag in 1776 during the Revolutionary War. Okay, so Monica, why did George Washington pick her and what's the real story? The real story, that's going to be something that's hard to uncover. So we live in such a day and age where we think everything should be documented. And that's just not how the minds of our predecessors worked. Okay. So I'm going to tell you a few facts about Betsy Ross, and then you and I can decide if it was real. Okay. That sounds good. Okay. So here's the facts as verified by lots and lots of sources. One, she made flags for the Pennsylvania Navy board. Two, she lived just a few blocks from Independence Hall. Do we know what happened at Independence Hall? (laughs) Mm, As a non-history major, I'm going to say I have no clue. Okay. So George Washington, Revolutionary War. Oh, that whole thing. Okay. That whole thing. I don't know. (laughs) Right, right. Okay. So her husband, okay, so she had widowed, but then remarried. But during this time, um, her deceased husband's uncle was one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. Well, that's cool. Yeah. And then a final fact here is she knew George Washington from church and had done other work for him. I mean, church, it's the place to be. Definitely back then it was for sure. Yeah. For sure. Socializing. It was community. It was. Yeah. It was a way to get together in a Mm -hmm. time of crisis. Exactly. Yeah, it was definitely the cornerstone. So you asked me an interesting question earlier. Why would George Washington ask her? Well, he had already asked her to do stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So no, that's that's very fair. Yeah. And she already made flags. So So cool. Why wouldn't you ask her? So people are like, well, she didn't do it because you can't prove it. And like someone pointed out, like what she was going to write a receipt. I made like I made the first like that. Do you like just, show me show me your Venmo screenshot? Right, right. So I guess she had told the story to her children and her grandchildren. Oh yeah, George came in and I sewed the flag. You know, the way that yeah. you would tell any story, not making herself legendary, but sharing her life. And it Absolutely. wasn't until her yeah, it wasn't until her grandson started telling people about it. I mean, probably 50 years after her death, even possibly. I mean, it was a while that she became popularized in a legend. Now, I know a lot of people want to be like, no, but I'm just going to say, I'm sorry. She probably did it. Somebody had to make the flag. Why wouldn't it be a flag maker? I think <laughs> I think you're totally right about that. I mean, it wouldn't be a man. No, it wouldn't have been. And that was her, yeah, and that was her job. And she was already making them for the Navy or the Navy board. So she already had those connections. She's already making stuff for George Washington. I don't know what it was, curtains. I have no idea. But anyway, (laughs) there we go. Maybe for Mrs. Washington. Yeah, maybe for Mrs. Washington. We don't know because she didn't write down everything she did, knowing that in 200 years, we would question her just talking about her life. Right. I think that the fact that she was on a first name basis with George is kind of amazing. And she was a seamstress, you know? Yeah, I think it's cool. Let's not take that away from her. She had to stitch each star on. Oh, my God. And, you know, that flag is beautiful. Okay, so Davy Crockett is probably one of my favorite American heroes. And he, I mean, so the raccoon hat, okay, I still want one. I don't have <laughs> one yet. Um, but he is the epitome of courage, perseverance, and compassion. And he's the mm-hmm. king of the wild frontier. Like Davy, no- Davy Crockett. Crockett. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So most of us know this name due to the ballad of Davy Crockett. And it's a song with music by George Bruns and lyrics by Thomas Blackburn. It was introduced on ABC's television series, Disneyland, Disneyland, seriously, Disneyland again. Monica, can we get yeah, away from so Disney? we can't. We probably owe them at least a quarter million dollars at this point. 
<laughs> it's it was in the premiere episode of October 27, 1954. I seriously thought that that song, The Ballad of Davy Crockett, was much older than that. I am sorry, Disney, but he did not patch the Liberty Bell as the ballad says. Hmm. Yeah, he did wear a coonskin hat. But the good news is Disney did not invent Davy Crockett, so we can talk about him all we want to. And actually, Monica, you talk about his skin coon hat, but... He was such an exceptional man, and I didn't know that. I just, you know, knew King of the Wild Frontier. Right. Okay, so a few things that I dug up about him. Well, first of all, do you know why he's actually famous? Why we actually know who he is? No, I have no no clue other right. than the Disney, the Disney cartoon. Right. Well, he was one of the men who died at the Alamo. <gasps> For real? Yes. You just don't think that when you think of King of the Wild Frontier. So he was a U.S. congressman and a soldier. And I didn't know he, that. Yeah. I thought he was just like a... I think that maybe who you're thinking of is Jim Bowie. That's what I think a lot of people get them completed. And yes. I think, yeah. So I think that might be why we're like, oh, he... And plus, it says King of the Wild Frontier. So why would you not think all this about him? Okay, fascinating fact. He could not, and this is so American, he could not read or write until he was 18. Huh. Yeah, and but he went my on. Kids school, my kids' school expects them to be fluent readers in kindergarten. Uh, we're talking age five. Yeah, but they also probably don't expect them to be able to go feed the chickens either. So I don't know. Different time. It's Pioneer Times. Okay, pioneer so he could. I, I think that's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, so he couldn't read until he was 18. And that's what I'm saying so cool about America, meaning like he was able to be an American pioneer, go on to be a U.S. congressman, and he couldn't even read or write till he was 18. I mean, I think that's where some of the American spirit is lost these days is that we think we need all of these things and all of these titles and all of this stuff. And like, I just love to get back to our, our roots of like, no, like we're pretty cool. Let's just keep plugging forward and believing in ourselves. Here's a super interesting fact. He was against the Indian Removal Act. He was the only yes. Tennessee delegate to do so and was in opposition to his old commander, Andrew Jackson. Yeah. So you just told everybody he was from Tennessee. And earlier I told you he died at, died at the Alamo. And right. as we all so know, he, he migrated from Tennessee to Texas. Right. So after he lost his reelection in 1835, he told his former constituents, you may all go to hell and I will go to Texas. God bless Texas. Davy Crockett, the more I read about him, he just sounded like such a legendary man. And he's a true vestige of the past and embodiment of the American spirit. So, Monica, you know, we haven't really mentioned that many women and I'm not going to be all feminist on here, but we have some women that are true pioneers and embody the American spirit, which is mm -hmm. what we've been talking about. So who are yes. they? Yes. Well, Molly Pitcher, she was a Revolutionary War hero and, rumor has it, a clairvoyant. <gasps> oh, my goodness. And then Annie Oakley. Yep. Sharpshooter of the Wild West. Absolutely. And there's a whole play dedicated to Annie Oakley. And I know that there's so many more women. And I think that that was good for you to point out. However, I had a certain way I was wanting to go with this and I was picking from characteristics. So, and it was going to get real revolutionary war versus the wild west. I had to cut some people <laughs> out, but a couple of honorable mentions here also are Rip Van Winkle. Yeah. That guy who like slept forever and his wife was really mouthy to him, um, mm -hmm. could actually be based on true events. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then my forever favorite American legend, Bigfoot. <laughs> For real. <laughs> How about it, it, we're not calling him Sasquatch anymore because it's illegal in Washington state. Oh, I forgot about that. Oh, my gosh. Everyone jump on back to the original Americana episodes. You want to find out about that? Yeah. No. <laughs> Oh but Monica, my. we're we're missing one of the most important 
iconic figures of Americana. That's yeah. Uncle Sam. I'm going to conclude this episode with the legend who made me want to explore this idea way back in season one. Uncle Sam. I mean, come on, Uncle Sam. So do you know anything about Uncle Sam? Um, Only that the initials spell U.S. That's That's it. True. They do. I never had thought about that until I dug into him. Now, I've always just thought of him as a personification like of the federal government, which to me is kind of obnoxious, if I'm being honest. (laughs) Yes, it is. Right, right. So, but I'm like, yeah, he's totally a cool mascot with a top hat, the striped pants, the hair the beard, you know, I mean, I like him from a marketing standpoint a lot. Mon, I have a question for you about Uncle Sam, though. Yes. Just to think about, okay, don't peek at the answer. Give me okay. your thought. When do you think he first appeared in American life? That he first appeared in American yeah. life or that he appeared in my life? Not your life, American, Americana. When did he become a part of America? When I'm going to say 1940. Right. Me too. I was like, duh, World War II. Like that was kind of yeah. my answer. No, we're so off. It's really incredible. What? So, co- Yeah. So a couple of things, definitely not personification of the federal government. So now I feel much better embracing him. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So actually he first appeared after the war of 1812. Oh my goodness. Guess he's derived from some figures in America around that time. So there's Yankee Doodle, which Mm -hmm. was, you know, the derogatory term from the British, which I think is freaking hilarious because as you're going to talk about, we make a whole song like embracing it. Like we're like, yeah, I'm a Yankee Doodle Uh, dandy. (laughs) So I love that. Yep. And, (laughs) And so then it was like, you took Yankee Doodle Dandy and this guy named Brother Jonathan, who was like a rural American wit, which I love that wit because I do think that's something that Americans have that I didn't just automatically think of, but I think we really have a lot of wit and humor. And so this oh, brother I think Jonathan, so too. yeah, I definitely. Mean, I think like so, the English have their what they call their dry humor. Yes, yes. But I think Americans really take it the next level, and yeah. we have actually funny humor. Right, right. I think so. I think that that's just part of part of who we are as a people. Mm-hmm. So this brother, Jonathan, was an American wit who showed surprising displays of native intelligence, as they say. And he always triumphed over his adversaries, which also sounds like 100% American. <laughs> Let us tell yes. the story. We are 100% Please. triumphant. <laughs> we are larger than life. We are very smart. We are clever. We're all these things. So I, I understand sometimes world people, superpower. <laughs> yeah. I understand why we might come off as an mm-hmm. that's okay. It's okay. We can own it. Um, so, so that was 1812. So the first time that he showed up as an actual like image in that way that we understand him was in 1869. You can see there the Harper's weekly. I have him a picture of him. And this was from American political cartoonist, Thomas Nast. Now I have to side note on Nast because I found this incredible. So he was German born, but he's also credited with the modern image of Santa Claus as well as, yeah, as well as coming up with the donkey as a symbol for the Democrat party and the elephant as a symbol for Republicans. That is so interesting. Isn't it? Oh my gosh, it's so interesting. So, um, so can you tell he's us? Riding he's riding a snail. And what is that snail? Congress. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, some things have not changed. This cartoon's from 1877. Oh my God. No, Monica, <laughs> this is like too fantastic. It looks People. like he's he's wanting more money for the armed forces. <laughs> Friends, you need to go to twomonicaspodcast.com yes. and look at these images in the show notes because they are just too fantastic. Like, you can't make this stuff up. You can't. It's good stuff. I love the Uncle Sam. Monica, after this image is another image which says, I want you for the U.S. Army. And since I am a military spouse, this speaks to me. And he really does want, he, he wants my husband. 
He does. <laughs> he, he does. It's the truth because your husband's gone for two weeks right now. So he oh my God. Like, literally wants him. So you know that image? It's the one we're all familiar with, right? Yes. Like he's pointing. I thought that was from World War II, but it's actually a recruitment poster for the military in 1917. Interesting. Yeah, so World War One. Real quick, I'm just going to tell you how he got his name. And okay. it goes back to what you said. Okay. So Uncle Sam, U.S. That is truly how the U.S. Uncle Sam kind of came together. But where they decided that it became Uncle Sam came from somebody who supplied meat during the War of 1812. And they were laughing and said, oh, it's from Uncle Sam because the guy's name was Sam Wilson okay. from okay. New York. And so that's how he got a true name. That's how they tried to say, no, it's that meat packer. But anyway, some people want to say that maybe it was even before that. What I like to say is I'm sure there's always been an Uncle Sam as long as there's been the U.S. But they finally had a man named Sam that they could say it was. <laughs> I, I mean, I think that's fantastic. I think this whole episode has been super fun and intriguing informative, educational, and all about what America is, right? Yeah. We're legends, yeah. we're mm -hmm. stories, we're yeah. a com compilation of different genres and ideas. Yeah. And histories and cultures. And exactly. All of it. Yeah. So well, and I, I love had all of your resources. Well, so many resources. <laughs> a lot of resources, y'all. <laughs> I had a lot of fun coming up with them, though. So, but I have had a blast discovering these new tales, exploring interesting facts about our American folklore. And it has been incredible to see the American spirit expand and flex over the generations. And I'm really, really looking forward to the next couple of episodes in this series. Yeah, Monica, we have American music coming up, I which I am super wait. thrilled about. And I keep adding music and music and music. I'm like, oh my God, it's going to be a two hour episode. Well, no, it's not going to be a two hour episode. Okay. <laughs> no, it's going to be a good episode, whether it's 30 minutes or 55. All right, friends until next week. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and letting us be part of your day, whether that's folding socks, driving to work, or getting in your cardio. We're happy to provide you with entertainment about nothing serious, seriously. Don't forget to subscribe or follow our podcast so you never miss an episode. If you're loving it, leave a five-star review on Apple or Spotify. You can follow us on Instagram at 2MonicasPodcast. That's with the number two. Access extended show notes and more at our website, 2MonicasPodcast.com. Love this episode? Hit that share button and send to a friend who'd like it too. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode of 2 Monicas in a Microphone. Awesome. That was fun. I'd like to give a music credit to the wonderful artists on Pixabay and also for Mermaids by Raphael Krups.